There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. In just three weeks in October. The world has changed dramatically. In Congress. The office of Speaker of the House declared vacant. Ukraine loses Western support. Israel is at war. A massacre in Israel. War in Gaza. Spies taking advantage of it. Crossroads of a crisis. Coming up on this episode from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. I've spent the last year following the war in Ukraine, reporting on it every day. Recently, I traveled to Poland and to the border with Ukraine. The idea was to get more information from the people who knew it best about what was happening in the region. Coming back to the U.S. and starting to work on this project, something unexpected happened. On October 3rd, the U.S. House of Representatives voted out the Speaker, throwing everything into chaos. U.S. affairs and even funding for Ukraine. We were all focused on that. We thought it was temporary. But four days later, after the massacre in Israel on October 7th, the whole plan for these reports changed. Instead of reporting on Ukraine, it became about the odd connection between Ukraine, Israel, and the Holocaust. And the fact that this explosion of world events was being used as a smokescreen by Russian spies. This production is called Crossroads of a Crisis, Part 1. Stepping out of the plane onto the tarmac here in Warsaw, there are three objectives. To get as close to the war zone as possible, to see and hear about the reality of the war, and to understand why Poland had become so involved. 225 miles and three days later in Szczeciau, just across the border from Ukraine. Three Ukrainian women brought the war to us. This is Valentina from Zaporizhia. They came through my main city, my main village. And they shot at all the cars and the houses. Hundreds of people in her city were killed. The memory still haunts her. As deadly, chaotic, and destructive as this war has been, it took a turn on October 3rd that no one saw coming. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. The U.S. Congress basically shut down, threatening to close off Ukraine's biggest source of military munitions, intelligence, and money. This was thought to be a temporary setback, 
But what happened four days later triggered a geopolitical earthquake that shifted the world's attention away from Ukraine to the Middle East. At 7.45 a.m. local time on October 7th, the Russian army attacked the village of Belinki near Zaporizhia. The 591st day of that war was starting off, sadly, in the same pattern. A woman was killed and two people were injured. But at the very same time, about 2,000 miles, almost due south of there, a massacre that will go down in history as one of the most brutal and depraved attacks by humans on humans was shaking the world to its core. The terrorist group Hamas launched an attack on Israel. It was a military invasion by a terrorist group and then a terrorist operation slaughtering civilians. Hans Jacob Schindler, senior director at the Counter-Extremism Project. Ultimately, more than 1,400 Israelis were killed. More than 3,000 were wounded and more than 200 kidnapped. The scenes are horrible. You wouldn't even believe seeing the evidence. Aviva Raz Schechter, a senior ambassador in Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, says they can't get the images out of their heads. Children tied with their hands and being burned, our heads being chopped. That massacre took the world's attention away and support for Ukraine. There are lots of things going on around the world uh, that we have to address, and we will. Newly elected Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, but right now, what's happening in Israel uh, takes the immediate attention. I'm here at Auschwitz-Birkenau on a tour. Uh, the final evacuation of this camp took place on the 17th of January, 1945. There are mind-boggling examples of how Jews were tortured at this concentration camp. There's an extraordinary commonality between the war in Ukraine and the Israel-Hamas conflict. It's the Holocaust, much of which was perpetrated in occupied Poland during World War II. We have never thought that we'll see such scenes in Israel. Aviva Raz Schechter is a senior ambassador with Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. These scenes only remind us of the Holocaust. And if you've been anywhere near a smartphone, a TV, a computer, or a tablet, you probably have seen the images. Entire families murdered, just as was the case in Ukraine. And during the Holocaust, people tortured, just like in Ukraine and during the Holocaust. And even with all the devices, platforms, and sources available to us, since the October 7th massacre in Israel, you'll notice that for the first, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks, there wasn't a single article about Putin's crimes in Ukraine. Bo Browder, head of the global Magnitsky justice campaign fighting corruption, and a man that the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin have tried desperately to capture. 95% of the world's attention, the media attention, is now focused on the Middle East. And as a result, this invasion by Hamas of Israel and the subsequent retaliation by Israel is just a dream for Vladimir Putin. A complicated string of geopolitical events, all of which have a critical bearing on the war in Ukraine, have played out in the last six weeks. Israel is at war. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We're facing an inflection point in history. Clearly, uh, the world has changed dramatically. While all of this upheaval is going on, 
we learned that Russian intelligence was caught red-handed on U.S. soil in a stunning blunder of an intelligence operation aimed at harming Ukraine and America. It involved the Orthodox Church. It's been true for a long time, going way back to the middle of the Cold War, that the KGB used the Russian Orthodox Church. Robert Bayer is a retired CIA operative with deep experience regarding Russian intelligence. And when it comes to the link between the church and Russian intelligence... The FSB is known to run operations out of the Cultural Center in, in, in Washington, D.C. And how does he know? I used to live right around the corner from it. That place right here in DuPont Circle. But we're not talking about past actions here. The FBI recently contacted the Russian Orthodox Church and Eastern Orthodox Church here in the U.S. because of a man they stopped trying to enter the U.S. And he had with him a laptop with lots of files uh, with personal information on uh, prominent members of uh, the Orthodox community in the United States. That's investigative journalist Andrei Soldatov. The man the FBI stopped is Dmitry Petrovsky. And according to Soldatov, he didn't just have information about people in the church. He has a document in his laptop uh, describing the relationships between uh, the Russian Orthodox Church and Russian intelligence agencies, which is an absolutely amazing thing. What was he up to? This is Pennsylvania Avenue, just outside the FBI headquarters. Back in the spring, they sent an urgent and sensitive message to the leadership of the Russian and Greek Orthodox churches here in the U.S. It was about a man named Dmitry Petrovsky. He was a member of uh, the church's foreign relations department, and we know that for a fact. Andrei Soldatov, a Russian investigative journalist at the Kremlin, is actively seeking to capture. The FBI warned the churches that Petrovsky had been sent here to recruit spies among their members. But this was two years after they stopped him. So why did they wait so long? There's a lot of people being poisoned all over Europe. Bill Browder, author of Red Notice, also on the Kremlin's hit list. And it's not just Europeans that need to be concerned. Natalia Arno, head of the Free Russia Foundation here in D.C., traveling in Europe, returned to her hotel room and found the door open. Immediately, as soon as I entered the room, I felt a very um, unpleasant, a very strong smell. A few days later, she was back in the United States, but at a hospital here in Alexandria. What started to worry me was uh, numbness of my uh, hands and uh, feet and along the spine. She had been poisoned, likely by the FSB. Then it clicked. The stepped-up targeting of Americans was possibly one of the reasons why, two years after Petrovsky was stopped, the FBI warned the church. We asked them about it. They declined to comment. So did the church. So why is all this happening on American soil? Because they're desperate. Retired CIA undercover operative Robert Bayer. The KGB we're dealing with today is not the KGB of the Cold War. And Browder says Vladimir Putin knows that. Um, he can't beat Ukraine on the battlefield. And so his big bet is beat Ukraine by us no longer supplying Ukraine with military support and with financial support. And there are two other reasons why Ukraine is at the crossroads of this crisis. One, corruption at home. The other? the unpredictability of world events. Now for a little bit more perspective on the unpredictability of the world today, especially for Russian activists campaigning against a corrupt Kremlin. Natalia Arno tells us more about how she was poisoned. Yeah, so um, I was traveling to Europe, uh, which I do very often uh, because of my work. Uh, we are helping exiled uh, Russian activists, uh, journalists, and uh, human rights defenders, lawyers, uh, and so on. Uh, 
to get better adjusted in their uh, life uh, outside of Russia and uh, to be more efficient in their work and their activities to fight against Putin's regime. Um, they also have other programs, including in Ukraine and on Belarus and so on. But so I have to travel a lot. And I was um, in Berlin and in uh, Prague. Um, in Berlin, there was a public event. Um, again, uh, also... Uh, such an event that could uh, have attracted some interest from the Kremlin because it was about the consolidation and better coordination among uh, various uh, pro-democracy and anti-war forces. But then I went to Prague and I attended a closed event. Uh, and um, after that event, I came back to my hotel room and I noticed that the door was ajar. And uh, again, the first um, idea was, well, maybe some like, KGB, now it's called FSB officer or GRU officer, is waiting for me there. But I was was laughing at myself at this thought. And I thought, okay, maybe the maid really forgot it, but it was very untypical because I travel a lot. I have never seen the hotel door open. (laughs) Uh, I went inside and uh, for us, uh, pro-democracy Russians, anti-regime Russians, Surveillance is a norm, so we are very used to uh, being recorded, being followed, being surveilled. So I thought that, hmm, again, nobody is, is in my room uh, physically, but maybe they placed some, planted some bugs, uh, some listening recording devices. So the very first thing that I started to do is to check for bugs. I checked the room, I checked my clothes, my suitcase and so on. I didn't find anything, but actually immediately, as soon as I entered the room, I felt a very um, unpleasant, a very strong smell of some, I don't know, spray of some deodorant or some perfume, like very, very strong, very visible, very un- unpleasant, like like cheap, <laughs> too sweet. And it was weird. And um, But uh, since I didn't find any devices, any bugs, I was relieved. I thought, okay. I need to go to other meetings, so I changed, um, left my hotel room. I complained to the reception. They were very worried. They said, um, yes, this is probably the maid. Uh, what What is missing from your belongings? And I said, I'm not worried about robbery. I'm more worried about safety. <laughs> um, and so I had to go to, to other meetings. When I came back, there was no such a distinct smell in the room any longer. So I worked some more, uh, went to bed quite late, which is typical when you're on the trip. Uh, and three hours later at um, 5 a.m., I woke up from a very sharp dental pain. Like really, it was unbearable. I was almost like like losing my conscience of such a pain. I usually quite good of uh, tolerating the pain and it was something that even I couldn't tolerate and I thought I won't be able just to stay in Prague for the entire day and have more meetings and then I was supposed to go back to Berlin and have even more meetings and then uh, go back to the US. Uh, So I immediately changed the flight so it was 5 a.m and I found the earliest uh, flight back home for 9 a.m. I asked my son to make a dentist appointment and there was no even suspicion that it could be poisoning uh, because if I had even a slightest suspicion I would probably wouldn't dare to go on a transatlantic flight and without any medical attention for so many hours Uh, so I rushed to the hotel I mean to the airport and uh, on the plane I already like started to feel uh, all kinds of uh, symptoms Um, well what started to worry me was uh, numbness of my uh, hands and uh, feet and along the spine as if I like 
my body was being frozen. Um, and uh, this is also the same uh, symptoms. And actually later, uh, it was confirmed that the same diagnosis, uh, polyneuropathy, the same as uh, Vladimir Karamurza has, uh, the, our former vice president, who is now in uh, in a Russian jail, uh, sentenced to 25 years for working for an um, undesirable organization, the Russian Foundation for State Treason, uh, and for discrediting the Russian army because he was telling the truth about the um, full-scale invasion in Ukraine. Uh, and then I also felt... Um, so, uh, as you remember, I said that uh, it started with a dental pain and I thought I need to see a dentist. But then uh, the pain started to wander all uh, around my body. Uh, it wasn't a dental pain anymore. I had, like, very sharp pain in my armpits and in my stomach, in my eyes, in my ears, in my throat, in my chest. Like, it was wandering, like, as if um, organs were failing one by one. And uh, um, so it was very scary. I had blurry vision. I had um, headache. I had... Um, a very weird um, taste in my mouth, like uh, some rock, some mineral uh, taste. So it was quite quite scary. I was I don't know how I how I was uh, able to get uh, to the yeah. S. Um, and uh, so very soon, um, so it was already um, uh, like the evening of uh, May third. Um, and the next day I had this already scheduled uh, dentist appointment. I went there and the dentist said, everything is fine with your teeth. No worries. Like you're fine. But by that time I already felt very unwell. So I was almost immediately admitted to the emergency room. Uh, and uh, since I was in pain, the doctors wanted to give me some painkillers. And I told them, please don't uh, take all the um, tests, all possible tests, uh, so that they're as clean as possible. If there is any anything, uh, then you will be able to catch it better without any um, medication. By that time, I already knew that um, there are similar cases of uh, journalists, Russian journalists and uh, activists in uh, several locations. I knew that some of them, um, uh, their tests were run uh in the Charité clinic in Berlin. Uh, this is a clinic where when Alexei Navalny, Russian opposition leader, was uh, poisoned with Novichok, uh, he and he was in coma for many days. Um, he was brought to the Charité clinic. He was treated there. So um, it's one of the best clinics on, on that. And um, so it was quite concerning. Uh, and then... Um, Again, an, an American um, uh, intelligence service in, like interfered and all that, and so I have, all my tests were run by the clinic um, in in Virginia, and then they ran their uh, tests, uh, laboratory tests. They were with the chemical laboratory first. They almost immediately said it's not Novichok; it's something different. So, and maybe just to finish. Um, like uh, still there is an ongoing investigation i still don't know the details uh, what i know uh, is uh, like uh, my neurologist i like i went to the uh, neurologist center in washington dc i um, uh, also some tests were done some some uh, di diagnosis was made and so this is polyneuropathy the neurologist said that um there is no magic pill. I um, I just need um, so hopefully in a year my nerves will regenerate. She um, 
advised me to have uh, less stress and more exercises. I told her I can have uh, more exercises. I cannot have less stress when there is an ongoing war and so much happening. So now, uh, but I am used to it now. I feel much better. I know how to deal with it. At least I know not to be scared when some part of my body is frozen or is completely numb. Especially when the first time it happened with my face, it was quite scary. But now again, I know I can at least deal with it. I have some devices. I do some massages, some exercises. And so I'm, again, I'm used to this. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, part two of Crossroads of a Crisis. Andrei Soldatov, a Russian investigative journalist and also a target of the Kremlin, talks about the Russian effort to plant spies in the Orthodox Church in the U.S. Well, we all know that uh, the connection between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Russian security and intelligence agencies have been close for a very long time. But it is the very first time we learned that the FBI started disseminating a special warning to Orthodox, uh, Orthodox communities in the United States. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast.